Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. I have a question for you. Do you think you're good at setting boundaries? Are you good at saying to your partner, you know what, I've been up enough times tonight, it's your turn now, without recrimination or anger? Can you say no to your child wanting something in order to give time to yourself? Dr. Rebecca Ray is a psychologist and author. Her latest book is called Setting Boundaries. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to talk to you again. Well, I love your work. And um, in particular, I'm interested about the topic of boundaries because I feel perhaps that parents and particularly mothers lose sight of what they are and how to use them. (laughs) Um, Let's start at the very beginning. How do you define boundaries? I define boundaries as circles of empowerment. Ooh, like that. (laughs) Why, thank you. Um, I came (laughs) up with that by myself. But when I was when I was writing the book, I thought, okay, setting boundaries. I have to write a book called Setting Boundaries. Exactly what is a boundary? And I honestly think that, especially for us as women, boundaries are circles of empowerment that we define for ourselves um, around how we're going to distribute our personal resources, like time, money, love, attention, energy. And those circles are about us communicating to other people where we end and they start. Mm, Which is so challenging when you have children. As the mum of a three-year-old, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Particular, oh my goodness, three, bless that age Um, and bless the mothers who are raising them. Um, (laughs) I just used two examples in my introduction where I personally have not used boundaries well. Um, Why do you think so many of us don't actually have good, healthy boundaries? The answer to that question is twofold. The first part of the answer is that often healthy boundaries are not modelled to us in childhood by our grown-ups. And if you don't see boundaries being used healthily by your grown-ups as you're growing up, then you don't ever really learn that you have boundaries that you can then use in healthy ways. Boundaries get a really bad rap. You know, they they get misinterpreted as being mean or unkind or selfish, and they're actually quite the opposite. They're, they're one of the most helpful things we can do in our relationships with other people to be able to communicate um, what our needs and wants are. And if you can't communicate what your needs and wants are in relationships with others, then it becomes really convoluted um, about how to get your needs and wants met. The other kind of part of the answer to that question is, that particularly as women, we are socialised away from boundaries because of how we're seen, perhaps judged is a better word, but how we're we're judged for setting boundaries. Oh, yeah, that is so, that's so true. Yeah, we assume that we'll be judged as being um, selfish or, you know, ball-breaking or deaverish or some kind of negative 
particularly negative feminine stereotype that pushes us into a box that says, you know what, if you're going to be uh, enough, if you're going to measure up, if you're going to be likable, if you're going to belong, if you want us to love you, then you need to behave well. (laughs) And as a Mm. woman, that means shut up and um, just be kind and gentle and sit over there and don't speak up for yourself. Thank you very much. And especially could you please turn yourself inside out to make sure everybody else's needs are met and everybody else is happy before you consider yourself. And so when I was doing the research for this book, I asked my community online, what is it that you want to know? Mainly because I'm lazy. Like every part of me is just, <laughs> I'm just a taco eating sloth, right? If, if you just want to define who I am, I'm just a sloth who likes Mexican food. And They were amazing and they put up with me being lazy and answered all my questions. And the most common thing that came up was basically how do I say it nicely and politely and calmly and how do I not upset the other person? So there is this fear that we carry about um, expressing ourselves but in a way that might rock the boat or in in a way that might elicit a negative reaction from someone else. And I think one of the things that makes this really complicated is we're not taught how to manage confrontation and we're also taught to interpret confrontation as being our fault and therefore invalidating our own needs. That was a really long answer, but hopefully it makes sense. That resonates on so many levels for me. And another thing that you write about in the introduction, I think that I just went, oh, now I get what she means by boundaries is um, its relationship to self, self-worth. Like you have boundaries or you put boundaries in place when you value your own self, your resources, your energy, your time. When you value that, that's when you are firm with your boundaries. And I thought that's so true because we are so often, I think, as you mentioned, bending over backwards to meet other people's needs and we're not valuing our own. Can I add something about worthiness just because I really think that as a society we are socialized around worthiness in unhelpful ways. So I Mm. do say that in the book and I also say that boundaries are the language of self-worth. They are how we express our personal rights and our value as human beings but there is a but there and the but adds some complexity. I know. We need to talk about butts because there's so many parts of our human experience that are coloured by duality. You know, it's and both. It's not this or that. And I want to talk about worthiness because so many times, you know, you don't have to scroll far in your Instagram feed to find some ridiculous quote that says that, you know, you should just believe you're enough because it's as simple as that, right? Like, if it was, I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't be writing writing, writing books on (laughs) self-development. Because we'd all be walking around going, this is solved. I'm, I'm worthy, so therefore um, I don't need to try anymore. But from an evolutionary perspective, our need to belong actually was once tied to our survival. So 100,000 years ago when we were roaming the savannah in clans, the need to belong came immediately after whether or not we had enough food, water and um our physical safety was intact. So the next most prioritised need is the need to be loved and belong because if you don't belong back then, then you no longer have access to essential resources for survival, which is 
obviously food and water, but it's also protection. It's the um, collection of the clan around you. So um, singly, as just one human being 100,000 years ago, you're in a lot more danger than if you had your clan around you. And also the chance to reproduce was pretty important for the survival of the species. Now, it's not life or death in 2021 like it was once, you know. I guess it is for some people, which is I'm talking very much from a place of privilege here. Let me say that that out loud. But for most of us in Western society, it's not life or death on a day-to-day basis. However, that doesn't mean that we don't still have a very primary need to belong. And so when it comes to worthiness, yes, I talk about understanding our inherent value as human beings just for existing without having to prove ourselves beyond that. However, I want listeners to understand that it's a lifelong challenge or lifelong task that we face to feel worthy. So you don't have to feel worthy 100% of the time in order to set effective boundaries. And I think it's really helpful to understand that all of us at some point or another struggle with feelings of unworthiness simply because we are human beings who always want to make sure that we're measuring up and belonging to our people. Um, that's a dynamic thing. You don't get to a place or a destination called worthiness where you feel like you finally belong and therefore worthiness is no longer a struggle anymore. I can tell you as a clinical psychologist, I still wake up some days and think, oh, holy shit, I've got to do a um, an interview with Siobhan today. Am I going to say things that are helpful or am I going to mess it up? And at the very core of that, is a worthiness task that I'm grappling with simply because I'm human and I want to be liked and I want to belong. And we all feel that way. So when, if the if you, dear listener, go and pick up my book off a shelf, just know that I love you. I bloody love you. But as you're <laughs> reading it, please also understand that it's not a case of just feeling worthy and therefore you've nailed every other self-development thing that you need to do in your life. Um, worthiness is dynamic. Mm, I love that. That's um, that's quite a relief, actually, <laughs> to hear that. I don't want people to think that in this book I'm trying to set you up for what is essentially failure by saying that there's something that you can do to finally feel worthy forever and ever, amen. If anyone tells you that, please question what you're hearing and match it with your own experience. You've not felt worthy 100% of the time because you're human, not because you're doing it wrong. No, and I do like how you connect the two in terms of when you stop and say, okay, so why am I putting these boundaries in place? That you kind of do need to do a little bit of self-investigation and and try to learn to value yourself better. Would that be right? Absolutely, yes. So, yeah, the other side of this coin is, it really helps to, to understand that you do have value and especially to understand that your needs are valid, your wants are valid and your rights deserve to be respected just because you exist. I know it will look different for different people, but can you say what having healthy boundaries could feel like? Oh, I was hoping you would ask me feel and not look. Um, I love that question. Thank you. And I think from, because we've spoken before, I think you asked that because you get that this is very much about feelings. 
people don't set boundaries well because of feelings first and foremost, you know, like we Mm. feel anxious about it. We feel guilty about it. We feel scared about their reactions. And so we spend so much time often anticipating those negative feelings that we don't spend enough time understanding the absolute freedom that comes with setting boundaries. So freedom's not really a feeling. Let's get more specific. I mean, it kind of is, but the feelings that come from setting boundaries is, uh, I guess the best way that I want to describe it is one of clarity. Clarity for yourself around what your needs are. And um, when I say needs, it all, I am also meaning things that you don't want to include in your life. And it's also clarity for other people because Boundaries are a gift. They're a gift that you give anyone that you're interacting with, kind of like an instruction booklet. This is how I want you to interact with me. Damn it, I did not write that in the book. I wish I did Um, (laughs) because they they are just that. It's like giving the other person a set of instructions. This is how I need you to interact with me to respect my personal rights and also to honour my needs and wants. And Really, if you look at them like that, how great are boundaries for the health of our relationships then if someone is telling you how to treat them? That's exactly what boundaries do. When you're a caregiver, and I'm thinking specifically parents and carers of small children, I feel like our role is essentially essentially to look after and give to that particular being. Uh, they're quite dependent on us. They can be vulnerable, and it kind of, the buck kind of stops with us. How can you learn to draw those boundaries when your role is essentially tied to giving all the time? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think it's about understanding that in order to give we always have a finite amount of personal resources in our giving tanks. It's a little bit like driving your car. So no matter how much you might want to, if you drive your car to the point where the tank's empty, the car's not going to continue to go, even if you sit there and go, damn it, I still need to drive another two kilometres. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, if you, it doesn't matter how much you want the car to continue, it's just not going to happen. And that's the same with our giving tanks, metaphorically, obviously. If you don't replenish your giving tanks, then you will always hit a point of burnout where you're not able to give of yourself in a healthy way. Now, for some people, giving is tied to their very sense of joy. You know, they're they're the yeah. kindest people out there, the people that just would give you the shirt on their back if it was the last one that they had because it honestly makes them feel almost like that there's their that's their purpose in life. Now Even in those cases, those people don't have infinite giving resources. They have finite giving tanks like the rest of us and perhaps some have learned how to replenish their tanks. Some even get their tanks replenished by the act of giving because it just gives them a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. But when we're talking about parenting, it's a... um, as someone who's in it. Now I need to just step outside of it to find the work that I want. And I was going to say 
a word that I don't want to use because I think it's too negative. It's it's kind of like a task that seems to never end, so 24-7. (laughs) And I say that because Bennett sleeps with us at the moment and that's the way. So my son is three um, and that's the way since he left his cosh. We had Mm. a good three months where he slept in his big boy bed and then life changed and (laughs) discovered he could get out of his bed and get into our bed. And for everyone to get sleep in the house, we prioritise sleep because we both need our sleep. He sleeps with us, so we all sleep together. So especially on non-daycare days, this is a 24-7 task (laughs) that you're essentially parenting because you remove (laughs) limbs from your limbs and on and on Mm -hmm. we go. And I think one of the things that you need to be able to do is to understand that, yes, we brought this being into the world. Like this was very, as as someone with a wife, it was a very uh, clear choice. It was not an accident. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we chose to create this little this little being. And yet you need to find a way that you can set boundaries within the parenting task or sets of tasks so that you can stay connected with yourself as well. Because uh, one of the things I never want to do as a parent is to have my child think that my life only revolves around him because I think that's a really risky place, both for his development. I don't want to raise a narcissist. <laughs> kind of like my biggest fear. You will, you're gonna, okay, he's an only child, but you will not be a narcissist child. <laughs> I don't want him to be a narcissist, but also I don't want him to think that we as women in his life and his as his parents have nothing else going on in our world. So And also just knowing our needs. So there's a level of self-knowledge here. I can't just have parenting as my only task in this world. My mental health would decline quickly and Mm. sharply. And so the boundaries that I set then around parenting, it's the same for Nissa. we both are creatives, is that we need enough time in the week that we each get to go and do self-care tasks, creative tasks, work that kind of fills us up so that we can be better parents. So I think it's the perspective that you put on boundaries because I see what we do outside of parenting as just as much for Bennett as actual parenting tasks because of what we're modelling to him and how I want to shape him in terms of seeing us with bigger lives than just as his mother's. So parenting and boundaries is one thing. And, of course, like you just mentioned, we're not just parents. We're sisters, um, daughters, friends, and um, obviously the male equivalent as well. But when we're dealing with other adults or our peers, and you mentioned this earlier, the hardest thing can be to know how to put a boundary in place with kindness and calm, uh, especially when you're not used to having boundaries, how can you actually get to a place where you can feel confident and not bad about saying no to someone? I think the question that most people are asking is how do I set a boundary and take care of the other person's feelings? And the answer to that is really disappointing, (laughs) especially for people with really big hearts that don't want to be seen as mean because the answer is that you actually can't. 
when you're communicating your boundary, because we all walk around carrying our own unconscious baggage, so we're influenced by our unhealed hurts, um, unmet needs, limiting beliefs, resentments, fears, um, any trauma that's in our background, as well as our general beliefs about ourselves and other people in the world. We walk around carrying this baggage in our unconscious. So in interpersonal interactions, this is where the baggage actually plays out. So when you set a boundary with someone, you have no control as to when uh, or when or how that boundary triggers someone else's stuff. So all you have control of is how you communicate. You can communicate as assertively, as effectively, as clearly as Um, you possibly can. You could do textbook communication and you still can't control that someone else will respond to you in a way that's calm with nodding kind of smiles and immediate agreement. Mm. So instead, I think it's better to understand that what's within your control is communicating calmly and kindly. You can control that. Um, but you can't control how the other person feels. And when you're new to boundaries, and you could be new to boundaries and be 60, you know, there's, there's, I I know, certainly when I was in clinical practice, I saw a lot of people who were in later life, who were seeing me for what was essentially a boundaries issue. And for a lot of people, they've been passive all their lives, walked all over, you know, put their needs second. And for a lot of passive people, you know, then they're actually not going with the flow. They're balls of simmering resentment that at some point will likely either explode or implode. And these people would end up in my office talking about boundary issues and wondering how on earth, you know, at the age of 50, 55, 60, 65, actually start setting a boundary at that point. The good news is you can. You can you can learn to change and set your boundaries at any age. You just need to understand that the people that have benefited from you having no boundaries are likely to protest about you setting new boundaries. And there's nothing that you can do about that other than to make sure that you're supported by people around you that um, respect your needs and respect your rights so that you can set and reset the boundaries because oftentimes the people that have benefited from you having no boundaries will do their level best to encourage you to remove the boundaries you're trying to put in place. That's a very good thing to remember. And I'm going to have to stop there, otherwise I'll talk to you for the rest of the day. Um, (laughs) This is my boundary setting for myself. Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Siobhan. I'm so grateful for you giving time to my new book, Setting Boundaries. I love it. That's Dr. Rebecca Ray. She's a psychologist and author of Setting Boundaries, and there'll be links in the notes of this episode for how you can get a copy. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.